Well, hey everyone, this is Athena and welcome to the All Things Podcast, where we gather once a week to learn and share stories about how God works all things together, writing a story of good because He is faithful and good. Every Wednesday, I'll be chatting with a friend who I know and respect, one of our Redemption Press authors, who will not only share a personal Romans 8.28 story, but also help to give you tips and tools for your life journey. Two episodes a month, we'll have an additional interview with a well-known author, and the other two episodes will include a time for Insider Insights, where I'll answer publishing questions from our listeners. So hey, Let's get started. All right, so welcome to today's episode of the All Things Podcast. I am here today with one of the most amazing women I have ever met. Her name is Debbie Alsdorf. You're going to hear a lot more about her in a minute, but she's going to kickstart our time together today on the podcast. And then during the second half of the show, I will introduce you to Jackie Midler, author of The White Stick. So first of all, Debbie, welcome to the All Things Podcast. It's great to have you with us today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be with you today. Yes. Well, before we dive in, I would like to give you a proper introduction to the audience. Uh, Debbie Alsdorf is an author and speaker. Her mission is to help women live a better story. Years of working with women as the director of women's ministries of large churches gave her a peek into the hearts of a broad range of women. She speaks with wit, biblical truth, and vulnerability, and is often called a cheerleader of hope. She is the author of 12 books, a pastoral lay counselor, Certified Life Coach, featured on the Aspire Women's Tour, sponsored by Extreme Faith Productions and Compassion International. Her newest release, It's Momplicated, was featured on the Today Show and Focus on the Family. After a lifetime in California, Debbie and her husband Ray now make their home in Arizona. They have raised a blended family of four children and now have nine grandchildren, all under six years of age. Oh my, how much fun is that? She loves anything sun and sand, a good chocolate donut, and knowing that above all else, she is his. Well, I'll tell you what, what a delight this is after having you as one of our uh, speakers at the She Writes for Him online conference, I just listened to your story and was just so moved by how God has, I mean, you've had so many Romans 828 <laughs> events in your life. I'm just blown away by that. And so I just, that just kind of, I feel like has knitted our hearts together because that verse is just so real to both of us. And normally... I will, you know, kind of ask you to share your Romans 8.28 story before we dive in and talk about one of your books, but it's just like Romans 8.28 is your life. So I want to just jump in and ask you, when was the truth of Romans 8.28 first presented to you? 
Actually, it's when I was a young pastor's wife. I was in my late 20s, and there were two women in the church that just took me, uh, they took mentoring upon themselves with me. And so they spent a lot of time with me. They walked alongside of me. But one of them in particular, she was obsessed with Romans 8, 28. I mean, it would be the kind of thing like she would help me with errands with my kids. And on the digital clock in her little minivan, it would be 828. And she would go, oh, Deb, it's 828. And I'd like, yeah. 828, we'd be at the grocery store. It would ring up $8.28 and she would go, well, look at that. And the, the clerk would go, is there something wrong? And she'd go, oh no, the Bible says that all things work together for good. Well, I was a young, kind of full of myself pastor's wife of a large church back then. And I thought she was a little crazy. Like I loved her dearly, but this Romans 8, 28 thing was nuts. And uh, to top it off, one day in August, she calls me and she goes, do you know what today is? And I'm like, it's Thursday. She goes, and it's 8 to 8. All things will work together for good in your life. Well, um, it just kept getting pressed into me and I put up with it because I loved her so much. But little did I know that God was preparing me because several years later, my personal life fell apart when I went through a public and humili humiliating divorce as a pastor's wife. Um, my husband came home one day and uh, declared to me that he had never loved me. And within record time, our lives fell apart. Um, and during that time, I kept thinking, there's nothing good about this. I thought everything was supposed to work together for good in my life and there is no good happening. And everything at that point went from bad to worse. Um, my husband shared his truth. My mother had a major stroke. So now I'm taking care of my mother who was widowed and who needed me to care for her. A few months after that, I herniated two discs in my back while lifting a four-year-old child. It was thing after thing, like as if the divorce wasn't bad enough, everything went awful. And it was then, while I was in a hospital bed in my situation with my back, that I cried out to the Lord this one afternoon when I was finally left alone. And I just, I just said to him, like, I don't get you. I don't understand, you know, why all this is happening in my life. And, and as I'm yelling out to God, thankfully, he can handle our questions and he didn't strike me dead. And because <laughs> I was pretty angry that afternoon. And um, the numbers 828 kept going across the screen of my mind. And I began crying. It just broke me down. And I said to Jesus, I don't believe it anymore. There's no way that anything in my life is working together for good. You see, I was told that um, I could have some possible permanent paralysis from the way the disc herniated. And I thought, you know, I'll lose custody of my children. My children were all I had left and um, nothing good was happening in my life. And I'll never forget it. Never um, it wasn't audible. It was just in my head and in my heart. But I felt like when I said to the Lord, you know, what about my back? What about my back? What's good about this? And I, and he said to me, especially your back, trust mm. me. I cried myself to sleep that afternoon. And when I woke up, I wasn't miraculously walking or healed. But within weeks, I began getting better. I never had to have surgery. I don't have any permanent paralysis. Wow. And it turned out that later, way down the line, the Lord used what was the darkest uh, piece of the puzzle of my life that time, which was the back incident, because I was non-functional then. He used that to usher me into my future. So my friend, I thought that she was a little crazy, but the truth started becoming my own reality 
as I went through hard things. Mm. So then, I mean, as that happens to you, then I'll bet you start seeing everywhere all, all you know, everything that happens. It's like, wow, you're starting to, you know, anticipate how right. is God going to work this together for good? Right. Because your eyes are opened. You start thinking, well, I, I believe that scripture. And even when things don't look good. So in this case, many months later, I actually uh, met my, who is now my husband of 30 years at a parade. And I was there with my children. And um, at the end of the parade, like I never talked to him or anything. And he was there with his two children. And at the end of the parade, um, I made my children thank him for he, he had given them bubble gum and things. And and he said, I know this is Justin and this is Cameron and you are. And I just said, oh, I'm Debbie. Thank you so much for the things you gave my children. And he looked at me and he said, are you just Debbie or do you have a last name? And I literally said, I'm just Debbie. I don't have a last name. And I ran down the street, tugging my little boys behind me, probably looking like I'd seen a monster or something. <laughs> and, um, but long, very long story short with that, he had been divorced for a few years and he quit dating as a single Christian adult man. And he had a prayer and his prayer was, Lord, I pray that you would bring me a strong Christian woman into my life for myself and my daughters. Well, be careful what you pray for, because when he met me, I was disheveled and depressed, but I can hardly even, you know, say the strong Christian woman stuff in regards to me back then. But the second part of his prayer was, and when I meet her, I pray that I'll know that it's her. And somewhere during the parade, he thought that it was me. And I'm like, I'm clueless. And I go running down the street. Now, listen to this. How can somebody find a Debbie? Just a Debbie. No last name. Needle in a haystack in the world. One Debbie in the world. Well, God is really creative because this man was a detective. Um, <laughs> he did for a living. He was a criminologist and a really good detective. But even a good detective cannot find somebody with only that clue. So to speed this up and make a very long story short, if I had not hurt my back months earlier, he would have never been able to find me because somewhere along the way, he remembered my four-year-old son saying during the parade when an ambulance went by as a float, he said, the last time we were here, we were visiting my sister, the last time we were here, my mommy broke her back and we got to go in an ambulance. And then he knew he could find me. So what was the darkest piece of the puzzle of my life at the time, the back incident, turned out to be the very thing that had to happen so that he could find me later. And so that began teaching me that God's ways are so big. And he is so sovereign and he is so mighty. And you've experienced so much of this yourself, Alpina. Like your story is amazing. And so you know what I'm talking about, to be able to see God begin to putting the dots together and to begin to look for that all the time, to begin to look for that. And I remember a few years ago, I, uh, well, actually seven years ago, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I remember we were in a group and my pastor at the time said to me, I can't wait to see how God's going to use this. Mm -hmm. And some people around me were really offended by that. They thought he should be a little more compassionate. And, and I said, no, I get what he's saying. Yeah. God's a big God. There's no mistake in anything. And yes, I'd rather not have this, but I know enough to know now that all things are going to work together for good and that no thing will separate me from the love of God. And that in a nutshell has become my whole life. Mm. 
And, the, you know, the thing, once we realize, you know, he's not up there going, oh, man, I didn't see that coming. Right. You know, I mean, once we realize, oh, he's yeah. either directed this or he's allowed it. Yes, so either way. There must be a lesson for me here. He must yes. be going to use this in a way that will help someone else. Yes. So it's just, we see things different when we have that understanding, I think. Totally. And I think that it teaches us that um, our life is bigger than just being about us. Mm -hmm. And we get so wrapped up in us and our little worlds. And uh, we all do that. But when we start realizing that our life is a story bigger than us, that God is writing the story, then we begin to look for him, even in the hardest of circumstances. If he has allowed it, like you said, and hasn't removed it, then he has something for us in it even if that something for us in it has to do with us bringing light to someone else. Absolutely. It's, it's bigger than us. Yeah. And for us to be able to comfort someone else with the comfort we've been given. I mean, if we don't go through that, yeah. then like, how can, how can we encourage someone and say, I get where, how you feel right now. Totally. Because if we're untouched, it's Absolutely. Like, who can relate to that? Nobody. Absolutely. And you know, I, I lived the first part of my Christian walk is like, I call it a Stepford woman. I was all about being pretty perfect and polished on the outside. And I thought that that was for Jesus, of course. I mean, that's the American cultural Christian myth. And right. so uh, my life fell apart and I couldn't be any of that anymore. I, in fact, I was uh, depressed and disheveled and a mess. And I didn't know if I had any purpose or worth any longer. And when God pulled me out of that pit mm -hmm. and began reshaping and reframing my life, um, you know, I didn't ever want to be the poster child for a depressed Christian woman or a divorced pastor's wife or any of those things. But God, in his love and goodness, has allowed pieces of my story for me to walk through that help me have compassion on other women. I mean, I was the kind of Christian that thought if some, if a woman got left, then she must've done something terrible. I mean, I'm embarrassed to say that, but that's how, that's how judgmental and prideful I was. And now I get that somebody can just be blindsided and they need love, comfort and support and prayer. And so it really radically changed me. So even in that, Mm. There's an 828 because you know, that verse, what is so great is verse 29 is more important that because whom he foreknew, he planned to, for us to be um, transformed into the image of his son. So all of these things are working together for good to make us more like Jesus. So that's a bottom totally, line. Totally. And where he does his best work is in our brokenness. Yes, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. and, and for you to get rid of that facade Yes. I mean, well, it's not like you said, I'm going to get rid of it. It's just like, yeah, the circumstances. It got crashed. Yeah. yeah, totally. But then for you to just be totally broken. And I mean, that's when he, we feel him so much more in those moments totally. and understand his grace. To, to embrace brokenness is to become free, yeah. to finally become free. And I didn't realize how much in bondage I was just pleasing other people and trying to fill a role, um, trying to study so that I would have the right answers. Um, I, I didn't realize how much bondage I was in until my life fell apart. And now, you know, there were three things that had to rebuild my life. The first was I had to get real. I had to get real with God and admit that I wasn't perfect, never was, never will be. 
my life would never be perfect because once, you know, you're, you're divorced, even if I, you know, I thought even if I remarried, now I'm going to be in a crazy family and, you know, like nothing will ever be perfect again. And so I got real with God and then I had to go back to the basics of his word. And I literally during that time, and I still do this, I prayed that he would make his word real to me as if I never read it before. Mm. So I would sit with uh, portions of his word for a long time, as long as necessary until I had time to practice walking out in that truth. And um, it just reset everything in my life. And um, I still have brokenness. I still have problems. I will be growing until the day I take my last breath. And uh, some of it is, you know, uh, has led me to write what you said was the latest book. It's complicated. Um, you know, that's just the mother daughter relationship can be very complicated. Mm. And, um, I loved my mother very much. She's been gone for many years, but we had a very hard and difficult relationship when I was growing up. And so, uh, I co-wrote that book with a therapist and because she was my friend and she told me, boy, almost all the women I see have mother issues. And we realized that this is a problem and everybody's afraid to speak up about it. You, know, you don't want to speak up against a mother we were both mothers ourselves. So uh, the approach that God began taking with us and how he's taken in my life is to understand that my mother was just a woman with her own broken places. Yeah. And she undoubtedly did what she knew how to do. Right. And unfortunately, I got hurt a lot, a lot along the way. But later we became, both became Christians, you know, as mm. grown up women and, and, you know, we healed our relationship, the Lord healed it. But that doesn't erase the fact that I had this whole narrative going on from the time I was very young that I was absolutely worthless. Mm. I had this whole rejection narrative going on. I had this whole lonely narrative going on. And it took the power of the Holy Spirit to begin going to the deepest parts of me to begin healing me and showing me what was true about me, not what I had learned to believe was true about me. Mm -hmm. Without That's blaming without blaming anybody, it, you know, our, our story, all of us have a story and our stories begin in the home Yeah, for do. better or for worse. They begin yeah. in the home and we don't want to blame anybody, but it's so good to look at what we believe that doesn't line up with scripture because we've probably been believing it a really long time. Absolutely. And, and the, the struggle I know that I see, I know I had it. I know I see it everywhere is we get saved and we're like, okay, I'm a new creation. I'm under, yes. uh, everything's under the blood, you know, and yes. we like completely distance ourselves from our past yes. when there's still a bunch of festering wounds there that need to be cleaned out and Absolutely. Jesus needs to heal, but we don't, you know, we do whatever. I mean, I know workaholic, you know, being a workaholic, that was my medication of choice. We, there's lots of us that can come up with, you know, nice looking on the outside ways to minimize that pain. So we don't have to deal with it. Absolutely. But, and that's what I was doing with the whole perfection thing. Right. If I could just keep things buttoned in and if I could just, you know, like be checked off on a list as the good Christian pastor's wife, then, then, you know, it kind of helped me not feel that early childhood pain. But like you right. said, at some point, um, there is a need to heal it. And I, I, just when you said that, I don't hear very many people say that. And I felt like, oh my gosh, you and I, we are heart sisters. I could just tell you that right now. But when you said that we become Christians and we never look back and we just, you know, 
because we've used scriptures like, you know, you're supposed to press forward and not look back. True. But even the apostle Paul said, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I spoke like a child, but now I'm a man. I put away childish things. Well, most of us have never been encouraged to put away the childish things, right? We're just going to charge right in there in the name of Jesus. And we're going to be okay in our power, in our strength. And we don't realize that we're doing it. Totally. I mean, we can be doing full-time ministry and all yep. sorts of stuff. And it's in presumption because we're, I mean, I saw for so many years how I just, my trauma that I never allowed Jesus to heal, it controlled me. Yes. And it's like, uh, the Holy Spirit's supposed to control me. Not that, yes. you know? Yes. Well, and one of the things that I learned along the way, you know, like I learned to be insecure. I mean, it just was, every message was that I wasn't enough. And so I developed this, this groove of thinking, you know, insecure thoughts all the time. But now that I'm an adult and have let God start to work in this more and more, I realized that insecurity is another form of pride because I'm thinking too much about myself when I'm living in insecurity. And we think that pride is the person who's up front or they're confident or whatever. No, a lot, that can be true, but a lot of times it's our insecurity that is driving us into some, you know, prideful behaviors. Like, you know, we, we have to be perfect. We have to perform. We have to be seen, you know, whatever it is, we have to be liked, we have to be loved that's all from insecurity when we right. know that we are loved and that nothing can separate us from the love of God. When we know that we're valuable just because we're his, mm. we don't have to do all that crazy stuff anymore. And we don't have to be afraid of our weakness because no. that's where his strength is, is in our weakness. Totally. If we yeah. think we got it all together and yes. you know, then we don't need God. Yes. Yes. Totally. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, honestly, I mean, like I, when I read your book, I could not put it down. I thought I was going to read it like, you know, maybe over a five-day period during this coronavirus thing, but I stayed up all night long because I feel like, I feel like you're, it's so parallel as far as just some of what you went through. And, and I just feel like we're sisters of the heart in so many ways. Amen. Amen. I know when I first just, and I don't even remember, I think it was through Andy and Cynthia. And mm -hmm. I mean, I knew I'd met you at, at an AWSA event and, but we never, we didn't really have a conversation and right. it's just, it's just been such a blessing to feel like, wow. I mean, we're, we are Romans 828 sisters. We are. I'll tell you what, it's on my license plate. I was going to ask about that. <laughs> tell us about that. Well, our kids actually, our kids got it for our husband, for my husband, when he was retiring from the DA's office. Um, we, you know, we, we purchased a new car for him and then they got a specialized um, license plate that said 828 on it. And so it's kind of like, you know, even our kids growing up, like we were known for the people that believed all things. Yeah. But you know what? I do have to say this for anyone who's listening to this, even though, like I just said, we are known for the people that believe all things. I still get so many doubts mm -hmm. and I have to look myself in the mirror or I have to dig down deep in my own heart and I have to tell myself the truth in the middle of doubt and say, no, 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 all things are going to work together for the good, even this thing that's causing me pain, grief, or doubt. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just like, you know, you believe something and then you just go skipping into the sunset under rainbows and, you know, sparkles. Unicorns. Yeah. You, <laughs> I mean, you have to... Keep coming back to the truth and tell yourself the truth. And, you know, 
that verse is so, I mean, so much of scripture rests on that premise, yeah. the sovereignty of the God, sovereignty the bigness of God, God how yeah. he uses everything to shape us, how yeah. he'll never leave us. I mean, you know, just like you, I could go on and on. Well, and I love that because it's true. It doesn't say all things except right. when your husband divorces you or except when you've gone through spiritual abuse or except this, that, right. or the other. So if it says all things, we just have to remember it's his character. We have yes. to remember who he is, which is always faithful. He is, you know, he's that one who will use anything right, to glorify his name, no matter how bad it is or how bad it feels. Absolutely. And I love how that's been the theme of your life. And it is the theme of my life, even when I didn't know it was going to be. Yes, absolutely. Um, and you know what I love? I, what I love about your story and what I love about what you are doing is you are helping other women to make it a theme of their life. Mm. You know, uh, Romans 8, 28 books, um, all things podcast. I mean, you're putting it right out there so that this, it makes it memorable so that women will remember this truth. And if they don't quite grasp it yet, it's okay. Look what I just told you. I had friends telling me, telling me, telling me, and I thought they were crazy. I thought they were over the top cliche yep. Christian women, kooky. but the but yes, kooky. But the, the reality was, is they knew the truth and mm. they desperately wanted me to experience it too. So I love what you're doing so that other women can experience that as well. Mm. Amen. So, okay. As we wrap this up, I would love to have you share maybe a tip or a tool that you think would be helpful for the ladies listening it would just really help them remember that God really is going to work everything together for good, even if you can't see it. Okay. So I have a thing that I do. I've trained my mind. I know it's going to sound silly, but when I think of Romans 8, 28, I think of a box of puzzle pieces. And on the outside of the box, there is a picture that's perfectly complete. But when you open up the lid to that puzzle, there's just a bunch of pieces that make no sense. It's just mm -hmm. a big heap of pieces. And, but that God knows where every single one of those pieces is supposed to fit. And so when I find myself kind of hit, like just recently, I just kind of got hit over the head with a, a problem within our family. And um, I, thought, I thought to myself, okay, the cover of a puzzle box, like God knows the picture and he knows where this particular piece is supposed to fit. It has its place. He is still with me. Um, another thing that I do besides, you know, thinking of that, like uh, the puzzle piece thing is um, many times if I'm in a trial and I need to remind myself of the truth, I will set an alarm or set my watch to go off every couple hours and I will stop. And like in this case, let's say I would thank God for everything that that truth entails. Mm. Just, it takes, it takes less than a minute. Right. Father, I stop right now to thank you in the middle of my day. I stop to thank you that all in all things you're working together for the good. And in this situation that I'm in, I don't like it, but I'm going to trust you that you're working. Mm. I'm going to trust you that nothing can separate me from your love. And I'm going to thank you for that outcome that you're shaping me like Jesus. Then maybe two hours later, the alarm goes off again. I'm still in my same trial and I stop and pause. Father, I thank you for your word, whatever word it is that I'm working on. But um, particularly with his love in Romans 8, 28, I think that we forget. And so we have to have reminders and we have to remind ourselves. 
That is so good. And it's, and it's proactive. It's being intentional. It's not just, you know, reacting to the, the situation, but right. saying, okay, this is what I'm facing. I'm yes. not going to deny it, but I'm going to remind myself of who you are. You're, right. you're faithful. And so well, I know I can trust you. Because so much of life isn't our circumstances. It's what we believe about them. Yep. And so when we keep telling ourselves the truth of God's word and it begins to penetrate our deepest parts of our heart and our mind, um, we begin seeing our circumstances differently. We do. We don't see them as a disaster or a problem that can never be solved. We see them through the eyes of a God who can solve everything and who uses everything, every little piece. So it's just another opportunity for us to be able to tell other people, you know what I just faced and look what God did. Yes. Yes. Mm, I love it. I yeah. love it. Well, if we have some ladies who are listening today and they want to find you on social media or online, what's the best way for them to connect with you? I'm actually on Instagram just by my name, Debbie Alsdorf, and I'm on Facebook, Debbie Alsdorf slash author. And uh, my website is debbieallsdorf.com. On Facebook, I regularly do groups. Right now, I have 200 women going through my book, The Faith Dare, which is a 30-day dare. And I interact with them on a daily basis, go live with them a few times a week. It's great fun. And it's just such a great uh, sisterhood of faith, a, a new group of women all the time. So yeah. if they want to hear about that, they'll see me um, putting that up on one of those social sites. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an absolute delight to have you on. Thank you so much. What an honor to be with you. Thank you. Mm. I just spent three days with 400 plus women from across North America who all feel called to write for the King. And can I just tell you, God did immeasurably more than we could have ever asked or imagined. I am overwhelmed at how God showed up and answered the cries of so many hearts, inspiring, equipping, and motivating women to share their redemption stories. Some called it an intersection of women's retreat and writer's conference without the pressure of preparing a pitch for agents or editors. I love that description. If you missed the conference, you can still join after the fact to view all of the teachings, five keynotes, two panels, and eight breakout segments, and connect with others in the private Facebook community. Go to SheWritesForHimConference.com and get in on the incredible teaching and inspiration. All right. Well, we are back for the second half of our show today with one of our newest Redemption Press authors, Jacqueline Midler, who wrote The White Stick. So before I give a proper introduction, let me just welcome you to the show. Jacqueline, it's great to have you. Thanks so much, Athena. It's great to be here. I'm really excited. Yes. Well, I, I am going to say, as I give the proper introduction, I'm going to say that I know Jacqueline as Jackie and her friends call her Jackie. So we're just going to roll with that. <laughs> but as an avid reader and devoted mother of three, Jackie Midler gives voice to the woman who have had abortions and live with the regret and shame of that decision. White Stick is her debut work, birthed from the years-long journey to healing and redemption 
and her desire to open the eyes of the world to the harm this choice brings to women. She has a degree from Johnson and Wales in marketing with concentrations in English and psychology. She is a trained stillbirth doula working with families of fatal fetal diagnosis and pregnancy loss at any stage. Wow. Jackie works in the meetings industry as an independent contractor, helping her clients find and contract hotels and resorts for their meetings and events. She volunteers with her local Pregnancy Choice Center, helping women through sharing the love of Jesus and her story. And just to give you a little insight into her, I have a few fun facts. She knows how to catch, fillet, can, and smoke salmon. Oh my gosh, I am impressed. She loves to fish. She lived in Albania as a missionary for a year. She is an avid fiction reader and has been known to finish a book in under a day if it's good. Whoa. And she <laughs> always has a story to tell about her experience. She usually finds herself in the most awkward, crazy situations. And it's not always funny in the moment, but she ends up laughing later. So, Jackie, I would love to just, um, because your entire story is a major Romans 828 story where God, you know, in spite of just the most tragic decisions in your life, he worked it for good and has given you an incredible ministry and it's just such a story of God working all things together for good, even hard things. Yep. So I would just love for you to start out by telling us why you chose to write the book to start with. Sure, absolutely. Um, so honestly, it was very, I, I was at a concert of an indie artist that I had gone to when I was um, back in college. I had, as an adult, decided to go to see her and unbeknownst to me, it turned into a pro-life ra pro pro rally. And it was really um, just heartbreaking for me in the moment. It really was, it, it, it kind of shocked me. I, I didn't know what I was stepping into. It, it really became, um, th they put on a video that was really challenging. It was these women that had had multiple abortions that were calling abortions um, just another you know, form of birth, birth control. And I remember looking around the auditorium, there were hundreds of women. And at one point they all just kind of stood up and like put their fists in their, in the air and screamed, yeah, like they were so, um, for this. And I know I said pro-life, but I meant pro-choice and, um, and it, and it, and it was really hard for me because I had struggled for many years with my abortions. I'd struggled for many years with forgiving myself. I'd struggled many years with the shame and the guilt. And, and I, I wasn't one to really talk a lot about it. I was one that like, if I was sharing my story, I would share it. If there was a woman that was sharing her story and had a similar experience, I could relate to her and, and provide empathy to her. But it wasn't something that I was openly speaking about or um, talking about. And I remember just sitting there kind of shocked and thinking, don't these women know? I mean, how many of them have had abortions? How many of them know what that feels like? 
And, um, mm. and, and for me that I just remember looking up and going, I'll tell them I'll be your voice. I remember telling God, I will be your voice. I will, I, I, I will, I will tell them. And I, at the time I didn't know what that meant, to be honest. I really didn't know what mm. I was getting myself into. <laughs> right. You know, you always, it's fun to like tell God, like, I'll do that. And then you're like halfway in, like, what was I thinking? You know? Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I do, I do feel like God, you know, I, I just wanted to share my experience and my heartache. And, and I wanted, I wanted other women who had a similar experience and similar heartache to feel like there was hope for them. And, and I wanted to show people that it just isn't about choice, but that it's also about, you know, it's about what it does to you, you know, and it's Mm -hmm. not just about babies either. Although, you know, of course, you know, we think about the babies, but it's, it's definitely about what it does to you as an individual person. And I know that my story and how I feel about it is not how every woman feels about it. I will say that I have talked to women who are not ashamed. They are not unhappy with their choice. Um, they don't have regrets and, and that's their story. But, but I know that there's a lot of women that hide, they hide this choice. Yeah. Well, and, and there's a lot of women, I think too, that have justified it to themselves and have stuffed the pain to the point where they're just not in touch with the pain and they're good at self-medicating. And at some point it will come out and, there will be that reckoning and that time for them to maybe see right. what really happened. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I, I haven't talked to a woman yet that doesn't at least acknowledge that it was hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they may not necessarily have regret or they may not have shame, but I haven't met a woman yet that hasn't said it was a difficult situation to be in and a difficult choice to make. And I really do believe that you're right. I believe that as you get more and more in touch with God and your own inner soul, you start to realize different things and that hurt can, that's been buried can come out, you know? Yep. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So if you could turn back time and give advice to your 19 year old self, what would you tell her? You know, I would, Probably the biggest thing, it's, it's hard because I think, you know, I think about my life now, I have a beautiful family and my husband and all this great stuff. And I think, yeah, if I, I mean, now as a mom, you know, like if I had a baby at 19, um, it would have changed the whole projection of my life. It would have changed everything about what I'm doing right now. And it's always hard. I think sometimes to go back and go, you know, I, you know, whatever, like I need it. I should have done that, you know? So I think what I would tell myself is that don't give in to fear, you know, don't give in to fear. I would have the baby. God would bring me, God always, always, always is faithful. He is, it's Mm -hmm. just his part of his spirit. And so I think I would tell myself, you know, you have to be true to who you are. Don't give in to the fear of what could possibly happen. Just make the choice that's right. And then from there, allow God in your life to just continue to make that choice for good. You know, I think, I think that's the thing. I think for me at 19, I didn't really have a relationship with God. I didn't know God. Um, and I knew it was wrong, but I didn't really know God. And so I think I just listened to what everyone else said, which is going to ruin your life. You're going to lose your scholarship. 
you know, you're going to have a baby. How are you going to support a baby? How are you going to take care of a baby? What are you thinking? And all of those things just jumble together. But what's crazy is I've met women that were 19 and had a baby. I have a really mm-hmm. good friend and she chose to have her baby. Same thing. Found out she was pregnant freshman year in college. And guess what? She got her degree. She's a teacher. Her daughter just graduated college as a nurse and wow. she's got wow. two other little kids and she's married and she's happy. And I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. and she's like, it wasn't easy. And so I think the thing that to remember is that neither choice is easy, <laughs> but one, right. one really hurts your soul. And the right. other one, you actually get to, you actually get to see another life be lived. I mean, she has the joy yeah. of seeing her daughter, the joy of seeing her graduate and all of these things. Mm. I love that. And then you're right. They both are hard. They're just hard in different ways, both choices. Right. And, but one is a lot less damaging. That's for yes. sure. So, so what is something that people misunderstand about abortion? That's kind of funny. Cause it's just a little bit of what we just talked about, but it, it, people just say it's an easy choice. It's a choice, you know, we want our choice. It's a free choice. It's an easy choice. And, you know, it's another form of birth control. And, you know, I, I, that's what I believed. Honestly, prior to my first abortion, I thought I knew it was wrong, but I thought, okay, well, I'll get it done. And then it'll be like, it never happened and I'll move on and I'll still have my life the way it was before this inconvenience of being pregnant, you know? And so you kind of lie to yourself in that regard. And so I think that's the biggest lie that's told is that it's an easy choice that'll just get rid of it and allow you to, you know, go back to exactly the way you were before. And it's just, it doesn't, it scars your soul. Which you can't exactly. And isn't another one the, that it's just a clump of tissue. It's not, it's not really a life. So this is, that's, I'm glad that you brought that up because I really do think that this, that is something that, you know, you could say when, um, you know, back when Roe versus Wade was, was put into law because they didn't have the technology that we have. And I, I I always say, you know, with technology comes responsibility and, you know, we can see the heartbeat at six weeks, (laughs) five Mm -hmm. weeks, you know, we can see the hands and the toes and the, and the face at, at, you know, 10, 11, 12 weeks. We can see it's not a blob. We can see what it is. I mean, we've, we have the technology. Now they have 40 ultrasounds, you know, you can see features, you can see eyes and nose. And so we know, like we know, so there's no more lying. There's no more. We don't really Mm. know, you know, we're acting in ignorance that we know that the baby feels pain by 19 weeks and most likely even prior, but scientists can confirm that, you know, 19, 20 weeks, they can confirm that the, the baby, you know, feels pain. And so I think with that comes a responsibility, a responsibility to at least recognize what it is we're doing. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's, I think that's really, that's really the challenge is that, you know, you, you've got to be willing to recognize, okay, this is what I, this is what I did. This is what I'm, we're doing. This is the choice I'm, I'm making. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that lightly, you know, there are women that you know, they get raped, they get molested, they get, there's all kinds of stories and, and even just they're poor and they don't want to have a baby. I get it. Like I, I, and I completely understand that feeling and I'm not trying to judge it. I'm not trying to be like, you know, Oh, you know, I'm, 
I really don't. I feel like my story is not political. It's personal because I walk the walk. Mm -hmm. And so I really, I really Mm -hmm. feel like it's important for me to say that because I don't, I don't want this, you know, my words to be condemnation or judgment or draw a line in the sand. That's not the purpose of, of, of being a voice for this in my, you know, it's just to provide compassion and empathy and allow people to really understand that we, we do know what a baby looks like at five, six, seven weeks, eight weeks. We know that now. And so now with that um, understanding comes responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. So who is God to you and, and what is something he's shown you through writing this book? So God, you know what? God and I have a really funny relationship. I'm going to say that he has to be abundantly clear with me. I don't know if it's just because I'm, you know, arrogant by nature or hardheaded or (laughs) prideful. I really don't know, but he is one. He always has to kind of, you know, show me. (laughs) I very rarely Mm -hmm. like learn by watching other people. I, (laughs) I very much have to kind of like, (laughs) figure it out by myself, which is really a harder way to learn. I wish I was more as I've Mm -hmm. aged, I think I've developed that skill. He's, he's helped me to develop that skill a little bit more, but I think, you know, he, he's so faithful to me. He's so fun. Mm. You know, like I laugh with God sometimes because I really just feel like, you know, I'll be like, for example, when we were first married, me and my husband, I would totally always think that my way was the best way. I mean, because of course it is, <laughs> right? A woman knows best and, you know, right. whatever. So I would always be like, and my husband and I think completely differently. He's very, he's just a different way of thinking. I don't even know. And he would come up with an idea of doing something and I'd be like, absolutely not. That would never work. And, and he'd be like, you know, you never let me do anything. So I was like, all right, you know what? Go ahead. And I'd look up at God and I'd be like, it's never going to work, never going to work. And of course it would work perfectly. And I would look at God and I would be like, what the heck? Like if I tried it his way, it would not have worked. It's just that like somehow I really felt like God was showing me to, to trust that there was more than just my way. And that's how God is to me all the time. It's like, he's like, okay, he's like a patient father waiting for me to get it. You know, he's always willing to, mm. to meet me where I'm at. And then maybe push on me just a little bit to get me to where he wants me to be. And then maybe I'm Mm. there where he wants me to be. And it's like one of those wonderful moments you have in your relationship with God where you're like filled with joy and you're so happy and everything's wonderful. And then maybe like a week later, you take two steps back and then he just kind of quietly nudges me (laughs) to get back to that spot. Mm -hmm. You know, it's this constantly kind of ebb and flow in our relationship where you know, and then in the hard times and the times where tragedy and things happen in your life, I feel like, you know, he's there. He's, and honestly, um, he's my protector. Like he stands up for me. There's a lot of prayers that I've prayed where I, I don't fight with a situation. I'll just pray that God takes care of it or God vindicates me. There's a couple of situations in my life where I was wrongly, you know, accused in a sense or, or unjustly, um, you know, condemned and I -hmm. I didn't know what to do. And I just prayed that God would fight on my behalf. And it always came out. The truth came out and I was vindicated Mm -hmm. every time, you know? So I feel like, I feel like people that don't have God, 
they really, really, really miss out on the attributes mm-hmm. of God's personality and character in your life. I mean, he just does such amazing mm. things in a day-to-day existence with him that my life would be worse. He does. You know, obviously my prayer is for yeah. everyone to be saved. And it's like, hey, on your deathbed, you could be saved. But I think, oh, my gosh, you missed out on so much in your life by not having him with you. I know. You know, it's just Amen. it's an amazing yeah. thing. God is an amazing thing. He's so amazing. Yeah. And it's the journey is just so rewarding and enriching, even in the hard times and on the mountaintops and it's in true. the valleys. He's there with us in both places. Very true. And he doesn't waste our pain. Yeah. So, so what would you tell another woman who is struggling with shame and guilt? I, I think the, I think the thing that helped me is to understand where the shame and guilt was coming from and then own that if it was mine to own. So like for me, my shame and guilt was coming from my abortions and then from all the choices that I made because of the pain and shame and guilt of my abortions. So like sleeping around and doing drugs and, you know, disappointing people and getting fired from jobs and all of those things through my drug and alcohol infested, you know, all of those things were a result of my choice to abort because it was like, it broke something in me. And so when I had to kind of go all the way back to that, and then I had to own that. I had to own the fact that I decided to do that that I made that choice that I'm, you know, I say in my book that I was, you know, and it's true, I was reading the 10 commandments and I'd read them a hundred times before. And one day God just opened my heart just a little bit more. And it was like, I read, I'm a, you know, you shall not murder. And it it connected. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm a murderer. And I've always felt like the prodigal, Mm. you know, daughter or like, you know, any, you know, weeping at Jesus's feet. You know, I just, I always feel like I'm the, the, the prostitute or whatever, but but for me, it was really hard to acknowledge that. But once I acknowledged that, I was able to come away from that and, and say, okay, I own that, but I don't have to own the shame and guilt because God takes care of that. Yeah. And God's word fills me. Mm. And when I read God's word, there are so many scriptures that talk about how we're the apple of his eye, how he'll rejoice over us with singing, how, you know, how his love knows no bounds, how he forgives us as far as the East is from the West. I mean, if I'm going to believe that I'm saved, then I have to believe that God loves me and I have to believe God's words. And so I think, you know, if you're suffering in shame and guilt, whether it's something you did to yourself to cause that or something somebody else did to you, I think acknowledging that forgiving that person or forgiving yourself is really the key to then not have that being shackled to you. Cause I feel like that's what the evil one does is mm. he, he takes yeah. that, that unforgiveness and then he shackles shame and guilt to it. And then he binds you and then you walk around and like one of the biggest things that was my issue was I didn't trust myself. I lived in insecurity because I was like, I, I made so many bad choices you know, and then I lived in insecurity with God. I'm like, oh, well, he, I mean, I believe the scriptures. I believe the word. I believed I was saved, but there was always a nagging little voice that could make me doubt, you know, maybe you aren't saved. Maybe, you know, <laughs> you know, and it's that mm-hmm. shame and guilt or, you know, you don't deserve that. You didn't, you know, especially when I had my babies, 
that was a challenge, you know, seeing my babies. Mm, and it was like, yeah, I killed babies. They were like this. It was just, it's a challenge. And I, so I think for, for women, I think it's really important to do the work to forgive yourself or the person that hurt you that's causing the shame and guilt. That's the starting point. What? And I love what you said about owning. We have to own what we did. We made that decision or we, you know, if it was something that we chose, we have to own that, but then we do not have to own the shame and the guilt. Yeah. That's powerful. No, we don't. I love that. Okay. So as we wrap this up, I would love for you to share a tip or a tool to help those women who are listening just keep the focus on God. God really is working all things together for good, even when we can't see. Yeah. And I think, you know, my biggest tip is that I spent my early days as a Christian pouring over God's word. I spent my middle years as a Christian raising babies and not having much time for his word. And now I made a remade a commitment about six or seven years ago that I was going to really spend time in God's word, really getting to know him, really, really taking the time. So I take a a bath every night. um, And I used to read like, you know, People Magazine or one of my good fiction books or whatever. And it was just my time to myself. And I made a commitment about five or six years ago that I was just going to only read the Bible in the bath. And I mean, I've read through Mm. five or six Bibles. Like, you know, I'm a fast reader, but I I literally have. And now I read all different translations of Bibles. And it's just like I made that commitment because I I realized that I had lost my first love from how I felt when I was a baby Christian, when I was on the mission field in Albania. You know, that somehow raising babies and being married and although it was all lovely stuff and having friends, it was filling up my life and I didn't have a lot of time for God. And so when I made time for God, he showed up and he showed up powerfully because all of a sudden it was like, I couldn't get enough of his word. And I, and it took a while. It took like a month of me really committed to reading before I started to feel that spark in your soul where you're like, wow, this is really cool. Oh my gosh. What about this? What about that? You know? And you're going kind of, you know, you're really learning and your soul is growing. And, um, and I, I really think that that's the key, spending time with God. You know, I, I started to only listen to Christian music. So now all the time I have Christian music playing. So then, you know, even when I'm cooking in dinner, I, I'll have, you know, Lauren Daigle or some cool Christian artist on. And they, they center me to God. Like everything mm. is pointing my focus mm-hmm. back to God, back to God. Because the world is so distracting and being a mom in this day and age is so distracting and being a wife is so distracting that I feel like, you know, and working is distracting. I feel like I need everything to bring my attention back to God. And when my focus is on him, miracles happen. Yep. Yep. Amen. Amen. That's good word. Good word. So if we have some women listening today who want to connect with you online on social media, where's the best place for them? to? Well, I am on, um, I have a website, JacquelineMidler.com. I also, um, am on Facebook, um, Instagram, Twitter. Um, I, I, you know, I'm all over. They can email me too. Um, all of my website will take you to all of those links. And then, um, from, and it will also allow you to email me. 
um, and I also have a YouTube channel and actually, um, am putting out some videos about these kinds of things, you know, every now and then that people could watch, um, on YouTube. Perfect. So if we're going to, um, Google you or find you online, it's J A C Q U E L I N E Midler, M I D D L E R.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. It was just an absolute delight to have you on and have you share your story. And I just love how God has turned all of those things around to glorify his Thank name. you so much, Athena. I really appreciate all your help and wisdom. It's, it was wonderful. So thanks for joining us today for the All Things Podcast, brought to you by Redemption Press and the Romans 828 Bookstore. So, hey, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you would consider sharing this episode with your friends on social media, of course, only if you thought it was helpful, or if you haven't yet left a review of the podcast on Apple, I would really appreciate it as, you know, it'll help other people find the show and let them know it really is a good one to listen to. So thank you so much for listening today, and I'll see you next week.